Hey nerds, before we start the podcast, I wanted to warn you that the first 10 minutes or so of our podcast has a lot of X-Men Days of Future Past spoilers. So if you don't want anything ruined, I want you to go ahead and skip to 10 minutes and 40 seconds. Thanks. to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. Um, okay, so let's just talk about the uh, the mutant elephant in the room. Right? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> with six trunks. And with six trunks that can, some, that can see through walls. Um, <laughs> X-Men, Days of Future Past. We talked oh. about it last episode. So oh. good. We've all seen it. So good. Oh. So good. So holy, good. Uh, holy fuck. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I couldn't so believe how amazing it was and how it did away with everything we could have possibly hated by by essentially doing away with everything that happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty much this is Brian Singer's way of saying, I'm sorry guys, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did Superman. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to abandon you in your hour of need. I I should be a better director than that. Mm-hmm. I should be more devoted to your needs. Please take me back and I will <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Codependent. As my friend so eloquently put it, I feel like Brian Singer took a massive shit on all the people who made X2 and X3. <laughs> Just said, fuck all well, y'all. He made X2. So it was. Well, I mean, X2, X2 was, was good. good. So then X3 and, and uh, First Class, I mean. Because First Class compared to Days of Future's Past was uh, un- incomparable, I think. Interesting. No. First class was an awesome stepping stone between what had been done to us. I mean, it was a good introduction. Yeah, fair enough. But I think quality-wise, Days of Future Past brought up the level. It really raised the stakes. It definitely raised the stakes. Uh, I feel like it was a good setup for this movie. I, I wouldn't say that Singer was taking a dump on the people who made it because, I mean, Matthew Vaughn was involved with both projects. He directed and was involved mm-hmm. with the script for X-Men First Class, and he was involved with the story for Days of Future, Future Past. But that's yeah. about all he was and involved Singer with. And Singer produced First Class. Because hmm. he was there was speculation for a long time that he was going to direct, but he had to do another project. So. Either way, Days of Future Past was probably the best one of the entire X-Men yeah, definitely. group. No? The it, same way that Amazing Spider-Man 2 is best for Spider-Man? Yeah, and it, yep. and, and it raised the stakes to, like you said, to to uh, to an epic point, to the point where it could have been an X-Men 3, because X-Men mm-hmm. 3 definitely got to epic proportions, mm-hmm. but then again, so did a lot of movies that yeah, aren't as but good. But like Sarah said, last week, X-Men 3 relied too heavily on having an action scene every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. And this movie, although the action in it was really good and on an epic scale, there was way more story and everyone, that in, at least in the audience that I saw, including myself, was totally okay with it yeah. because the story was so solid and you were just so enthralled with it. Straight up. Yep. My favorite, definitely Quicksilver. Oh, yeah, he was the shit. That scene with Quicksilver. Oh, my (gasps) God. Amazing. Yeah. I think for me, what really sold it was uh, the scene between the Xaviers. Mm. Like that that whole theme of just because you've lost your way doesn't mean you're lost forever. Oh, my God. So emotional. It was very, yeah, I get a little choked up thinking about it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) By the way, how about it being set in the early 70s and it making Professor X pretty much look like he was a heroin addict? I know, right? With the hair? It was really fascinating. It was very powerful imagery. Yeah, because you look at Xavier as this kind of moral 
mm-hmm. paragon and to show that his humanity was really really fascinating yeah, yeah. oh man so yeah. well done and it's and likewise also the uh, the humanity behind eric i mean magnino is such a complex character he's not innately evil he just takes extreme measures yeah. to get where he needs to get done uh and that showed in this movie too as much as it did in all the other yeah. x-men films my only complaint capes there were too many capes. There's no, one thing capes that Edna awesome. Mode taught us. No Edna capes. Mode. Okay. Magneto Edna needs the cape, Mode. though. Yeah. Darling. <laughs> Magneto needs that cape, not, though. Not Storms. Oh, well, Storm does need the cape, I guess. She does. Bishop cool. needs the cape, too. Fine, fine. Well, so the cape is actually functional for Storm because she gets the wind underneath yeah. her cape so she can fly. I don't know. I, I thought everyone just was doing too much cape action, though. I don't know. Actually, why doesn't Wolverine have a cape? Let's give him a cape can, in the next one. He, he so he can thrash it up. It. Yeah, exactly. yeah, so it, it has, like, his claw marks in it to give it character. It's woven, it has fibers of adamantium woven into it, so Speaking it can't actually. Claws, Speaking of adamantium, <laughs> adamantium don't no longer exist, son. Mm-hmm. Girl. Right. So, yeah, because yeah, for half the movie, he was in bone claws. Yeah. Oh, every time they came yeah, out. I, no, I, but he has ugh. bone claws, and then when you think Stryker's going to pick him up, and you think, okay, this leads into X-Men Origins Wolverine, the mm-hmm. eyes flash yellow, and you realize Mystique was posing for Stryker, so Stryker never got a hold of Wolverine, meaning Wolverine never had the adamantium skeleton put in Well, it. maybe, maybe not, because like, like they, the closing line of that movie, and I'm paraphrasing it, says that some th- things will always happen. The future, uh-huh. the future is uncertain. But if you send enough ripples, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So he may still end up being part of the Weapon X program. You know, we we don't know at this point. I thought the whole twist with the Mystique being Striker was just yeah. a little too much. Or he may end up getting adamantium another way. Yeah. Right? See. Yeah. So. Oh my God! The Roxy said what sold it for her was the quicksilver scene yeah the quicksilver scene yeah. is what really sold it for you it was awesome. i was sold from the beginning i mean as soon as the credits started and the the uh the 20th century fox like theme music <gasps> so had a little good. bit of the original x-men theme at the very end uh-huh. i was like oh <laughs> yeah well, I-, I love that very much like what they did in all the original x-men movies and with um I think they did it in first class as well. That they after they open it, they close the middle door mm-hmm. with the X and they they lock yes. it. Yes, for Cerebro. Exactly. Yeah. That was awesome. Well, they I only w- did that with two and yeah. three. They didn't or one, two, and three. They didn't do it with first class mm. or the Wolverine movies. Okay, that's a good point. No, I think Cerebro is just specific to X Men. Um, Sarah, Sarah wanted to add that she gives this movie a ten out of ten, and if she could hug a movie, it would be this one. <laughs> <laughs> she's so cute it was. Like, oh guys how did you feel yeah at the we're getting into big spoilers now when he gets back into now or present day which is the 2020s and he's in the school and everything like looks normal mm. but then then you see the girl with the red hair mm. standing in the doorway that was like my heart was shining <laughs> through my body during that part i was like oh gene and then, and then when Scott showed up, I fucking, was like, "Sweet, fucking Scott!" <laughs> With his, I was like, "Thank God that they're both gonna." That's I just love that dynamic, the love right. triangle with them. And yeah. it continues, yeah. But what what's interesting is I want I I hope that they keep the X Men movies going. Me too. They're gonna do well, what they're gonna have to do the next one in the current timeline with with the older Wolverine is no. Be actually, fun. that's Brian. That's in, uh, completely incorrect. No, it's not. No, the Apocalypse movie is going to be set in the 80s, and it's the first-class cast. The first, Like I said before, the first-class cast was a reboot. This was a stepping stone from that reboot to get everybody really invested by bringing all these older characters, including Wolverine, in. 
but and most then of the now, first, but most of the first class cast was like not even in the movie. Like, yeah, if you're talking about Fastbender and McAvoy, it's sure. gonna be Fastbender, McAvoy, uh, Beast, uh, Mystique because she's back with him now. Wolverine's still with them, remember, because he grabbed him, but he doesn't remember all of Days of Future Past. But Wolverine's part of the gang now. Oh, interesting. Because they saved him. Right. Huh. Well. So Wolverine's going to start off the movie as a baddie at this point because if he's being because he's under the because he's under the influence. Of, it's going to be like a Wolverine reboot from the first one because he's going to be with these new guys. His brain has been completely wiped because his future self that was inhabiting him went back to his time and like they said, he's not going to remember anything. Well, in that just case, like he didn't remember anything in that one scene where um, Kitty was losing control. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe, so maybe uh, it's going to be just like the first movie where he's he wakes up in the mansion. And he's like, what's happening? <laughs> maybe because if you're talking about Age of Apocalypse, that's how Mulvering got his adamantium back. Um, it, so Magneto ripped the adamantium out of his body mm-hmm. in one part in the comic books. Yep. And then uh, I think I had that holographic Fleer Ultra card. Yeah, it's it's Ugh. excruciating because it, it's like ripping his skin apart, too. No, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but and of course, then you find out that his skeleton was it was grafted to his skeleton it wasn't only what his no. skeleton was made of yeah exactly and then and then also with this when we discovered that the claws were not added so, on that they were a natural ask, part of his body let me ask you guys this what did you think this film did to honor the comics because we talked a lot last week to how the comics and the films are really two different universes but i think like in this one i got the feeling in the sense that they tried to stick to the comics they tried to play creative I, they it. deviated quite a bit okay. but i think but i think what they did do correctly is they caught the spirit of it fair enough yeah uh, right and the sentinels like we've been waiting mm. for sentinels forever and in x3 we were cock teased by that one danger room scene in the beginning where they cut what looks like a sentinel head off in their danger room exercise and that was it and we're like man we grew up with the cartoon a lot of us started reading them in the 80s or or when we started watching the cartoon went back to the major storylines from the 80s that made the x-men even more popular than they were when they started and this is what they're bringing to this new movie and that's why i loved it so much and i'm hoping that's why you know like brian said it's the spirit it's they didn't have exact storylines but they kept all the spirit and all of the struggle of the mutant in there. Mm. Yeah. All right. And that's what I appreciated the most, I think, out okay. of it. And on that note, everyone, welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Roxy Noberry. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Sean Moriarty. And our beloved Sarah is out for the evening, but that's okay. Because, because she had left us for the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, she's she just she's going to get finger banged in the bathroom <laughs> at a Backstreet Boys concert. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what's going to happen. No. <laughs> yep. Oh, Sarah. Oh, Godspeed. So speaking of that, I Way just want to go, say, Steve. Yeah. I, I was hanging out with Sarah and her boyfriend last night with a couple of friends. We were playing Cards Against Humanity. Nice. And one of the, the black card was uh, the Smithsonian Institute has now opened a revolutionary interactive uh, exhibit on blank. <laughs> I won with fingering. Oh. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> that would be good. It's just, yeah. It's just a bunch of holes in a wall with different meats stuffed in them. Oh, God. Jesus. Okay, well, you know what? This sh- is what an 80 year old woman's like, and it's, you know, wow. a bunch of huge pieces of lightly seared chopped liver. Sean, Sean, 
And then Sean. one's like a frog's asshole. And they're like, this they're... one is a teenager. I can literally see Sean's brain just deviating and going off into the dark side of his imagination. It's, yeah. It's like, fascinating to watch. At a certain point, once you start it, you can't stop when it. When you were like growing watching... up, Brian, did you, could you see yes. this, this like evilness evolve? Mm-hmm. Just the power to yeah. overtake I've been him? doing this since I was like 13. <laughs> My brain, my evil comedic brain is like juggernaut. Once it starts, like once it builds momentum, there's nothing that can stop it. But here's the funny thing. When we were growing up, I was the one who talked too much. Really? Yeah. I was, yeah, I didn't talk as much as him, but what I said was way more fucked up. Yeah, well, you were silent but deadly, I guess, huh? Yeah, Sean liked to play with knives as a kid. Oh, Jesus. Um, okay, Mr. Sociopath. Um, Well, Sean, you know what? Something you said that wasn't quite... Off kilter, but you did mention uh, the idea that a lot of um, X Men stuff has been reboots, and there's this idea of a lot of the X Men ideas being remade and redone. And so tonight, we're definitely going to talk about reboots, but we're going to talk about them from the Disney side of things. Yeah, from just from the fairy tale, I think. Yeah, perspective. Disney yeah. fairy tale stories, because when you talk about Disney, you definitely know the the idea that a lot of the original Disney films were based off of story tale. Um, empire was based off of right mm-hmm. like they oh yeah of, of course you know you're talking about the the empire that mickey built yeah. and if, so you can't not separate mm-hmm. you know you can't separate Brian, mickey and, double negative thank you exactly you talk about hans christian anderson and the brothers Grimm, and those are really two major sources contributors of, yeah yeah source material for um stories like cinderella sleeping right. beauty snow white all that goodness which hadn't really been done before right mm. like disney set a, a really important precedent first of all by by proving that you could make an, a cartoon feature length yeah man in the first place Snow but not d- did everything for yeah everything. but not just that <laughs> but also you can make these cartoons l- not just these you know dopey little kids things you can make mm-hmm. them artful now disney yeah ex- no when he did uh, snow white and seven dwarves in 1937 he combined lots of german expressionism in cool. in the uh, the lighting that he created when he was it was there was yeah. a lot of purpose that went into it. Yeah, and they created stories that will resonate and have resonated through the decades. I completely agree. You know, Disney was quoted as saying that he didn't want to start making out films just for kids, even if they were animated. They were meant for families. They were meant for adults. They were meant to be considered as art, and that art is can be interpreted to each person differently. You know, and I think that's why a lot of the themes from the original films were a lot darker. And a lot Mm. of the scenes and a lot of the action was a lot more mature. And a lot of the villains were a lot more terrifying (laughs) than they are now. You know, I still still have nightmares about Maleficent. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, she was probably the most uh, evil looking, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, we don't see a lot of this today, the 2D animation that they did back then. Mm. Because back then, that was the best way that you could possibly show a fantasy world and have control over every little detail of how you wanted to present a fantasy world nowadays with with digital animation people can do it live action which is why we see way more live action movies or digitally animated movies mm-hmm. uh, right. that that are conveying the same kind of fantasy world that a lot of these fairy tales were doing cuz i mean the wizard of oz was very unique in that how they could with their production value do what they did to actually transport you into a fantasy world like that Mm-hmm. With yeah. Snow White in these earlier Disney movies, that is how you showed people these worlds. Right. So then that speaks to the fact that the where the movie industry is today, yeah. with the technological advances that we've had, that speaks to why they are 
on a rampage to recreate a lot of these old fantasy animated films in live action in, you know, CGI and all of that. Most notably, Maleficent is coming out next week and it's based off of Sleeping Beauty, but it's all about um, the backstory to, you know, Maleficent herself, but it still includes themes from the original Sleeping Beauty show. Sure, and of course similar design work, right? Yeah, the vines and all that stuff. Right, The, the one thing I thought was really weird is they gave her horns and... I never saw that headdress that she was wearing in the original film as horns because it's supposed to be set in like the um, 13th, 14th century, I think. Mm -hmm. And that was, it's unusual, but that was kind of the headdress that women would wear. Oh, yeah. Like the Renaissance era with the cones and stuff. Exactly. So I never, I never interpreted them as horns, but I guess that's what they made it into. Did the dragon that she turned into, spoilers, have horns? (laughs) No. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, That dragon in the animated film did. Had horns, but they weren't the same shape horns either way you can tell what they were trying to do in this film by turning her headpiece into horns is give you foreshadowing as to what the dragon is and just the connection that she has to animalistic side of herself right and you can tell that the script the screenwriter really thought it through and I, i watched an interview that she was talking about and how she compiled the story for maleficent and how there was so much source material but she really had a lot of artistic freedom to just do whatever and go for it. And Angelina Jolie herself had a lot of input on the design of the character. Right. And you can tell that, yeah, let's, let's let's give this woman a more badass appeal. Sure. Because how she is in the original film of Sleeping Beauty, she's not as terrifying as she is alluring and very mysterious. Mm-hmm. And the classy woman, you know, she's a very, she's, she has prestige about herself. Mm-hmm. So to give her more of a darker animalistic side, as you see, her backstory turns out to be a pretty intensive kind of warrior princess storyline sure. with her having wings and how all that, right. You know. But however, I from what I've seen in the previews, this is still the movie is still contains what happens during Sleeping Beauty, but it focuses all on what's happening with Maleficent during that whole time. Yeah, it focuses, exactly. it, it's basically so, the story from her perspective, yeah. Right. Yeah, is it? Is this going to be another one of the, do you remember that book that was like Little Red Riding Hood from the point of view of the wolf and how it was the grandmother and Little Red Riding Hood that were all fucked up oh, and not, snap. not the wolf? Yeah. I'm hoping that's what it's going to be, is you find out Maleficent is the good guy and Sleeping Beauty's well, a bitch. apparently King Stefan, who's uh, Sleeping Beauty's father, plays a very huge adversarial role in this film. Basically, he is uh, sleeping, or he is uh, Maleficent's arch nemesis, and they have this whole big battle scene, and they have a whole like argument. Uh, they they have a very contentious relationship because of something. So yeah, King Stefan, yeah. how he is kind of goofy in the animated film. Well, well as the uh, much more serious. I figured right. it out. I figured out why they hate each other, why? and they're not going to say it in the Disney movie exactly like this. But they used to bone. Oh, you know, you know how it is. Well, okay, so <laughs> let's be let's be clear here, Maleficent. As the interpretation goes of Disney, because it's not, that's not a true interpretation of the original storyline. Of course not, right? yeah. <laughs> Maleficent is an evil fairy. Right. Right. So right. there are months of other, so we're living in a, in a, in a world where the mystical and the, the human mm-hmm. coexist. According to the original Disney story, Maleficent was pissed because she wasn't invited to the... The coronation. The, the coronation yeah. or to the, the christening of... Oh, the uh, christening, thank you. Of uh, Europa. Just like a chick. It's Aurora. Aurora. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Princess Aurora. Aurora. Yeah, so, she, so basically her beef is that she wasn't invited to Aurora's christening, christening yeah. so she curses her and 
Like, on the eve of her sixteenth birthday. Unless Seriously? you know something else. Oh. You curse you curse an infant child because you missed a party? What kind of shit is that? <laughs> you Thank you. You know the extent that some women will go to you to say, get vengeance, okay? That, that is unless we know some crazy backstory, that is incredibly petty. Oh, right? we will get there, okay? We will get there. Thank you, Angelina, for bringing this so, idea up. Just doing it. I don't know how I feel about like taking the villain's approach. I know that Disney shouldn't necessarily spend the rest of their life thinking about what would Walt do because <laughs> WWWD. But um, <laughs> but I'm just thinking, is this what Walt Disney intended? Mm. Probably not. But at the same time, Walt was a champion of creative darkness. I think he liked seeing that dark side to the lighter end of animation. I mean, if you see Fantasia, remember that whole scene with like the satanic of course, yeah. devil mountain? I mean, that was pretty dark. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I think Walt would have appreciated to some degree how they're exploring these characters and their motivations and their backstories because it's just allowing for more artistic endeavors, you know? Although I'm pretty sure that Walt Disney almost burned through his cryogenic freezing when he heard about Alice in Wonderland and what they had done with that. God, yeah, yeah well. <laughs> and speaking of another, another reboot, right? Mm. That one was kind of a reboot slash sequel because it was a large part. I think it was it was uh, through the Looking Glass, yeah, but yet they call but they call back to like in one five minute segment they call back to the original story. Well, they line. got to. I mean, yeah. how do you get the newer generation at all in- invested? Right? right, you got to. You yeah. got to, got to. So yeah. So speaking on Alice in Wonderland, I think that film in particular kind of turned. The idea of Disney reboots on a kind of wonkier path, you know. Yeah, yeah. We started it was, a, out with, it was yeah, cheaply done. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah. remember 101 Dalmatians from the 90s? The uh, <laughs> Jeff Daniels and Glenn Close live action. I actually version? really liked that movie. Right? Yeah, it was good. I and, love that yeah, movie. Yeah, wasn't it a good one? And yeah, it's, got, it's just focused less on the dogs having voices than actually being anthropomorphized. Yeah. Well, I also like the um, just the. Great performances by Hugh Laurie and I believe it's Timothy Spall oh as my God, uh, Horace as... and Jasper. <laughs> they were just great. Like that was our first exposure to Hugh Laurie. Before absolutely. you talk to him, you should know there is a horrendous scar on his neck, <laughs> and you should not bring it up. No, bring it up. Jesus, look at that! No bloody wonder you can't talk, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them are perfect. Oh my God! And then Jolie Richardson as the blonde. Yeah, and then who true. was the nanny? She was like this lovely old British. Oh, it was actress. um. Do you know who that is? That's Joan Plowright. Nice. That's wow. Lawrence Olivier. That's Lawrence Olivier's widow. The puppies. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah. cool. Okay. Well, yeah. So there's a lot we can touch on here, but I kind of want to backtrack to the whole Maleficent thing. I think why Maleficent, the film that's coming up, is going to do a lot of goodness for focusing on backstories of like villains for instance is because there's so many different villains that we can actually like focus on and go into and that being yeah. said there's actually oh. a Cruella DeVille film in production right really? now really yeah dude and it's being executive produced by Glenn Close so that's probably um going to happen I think um I'm pretty sure in a few more cartons of cigarettes later, I'm pretty sure Lindsay Lohan could have her come back playing Cruella DeVille. Uh, oh, she actually no. could probably pull it off. Actually, you know who I thought would have been a, a dead ringer for Cruella DeVille? Yeah. 
Sharon Stone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Girl. Right. Sharon Stone, I think in her mid thirties would have been amazing as Cruella. Even though mm. she would have been a little young for it, yeah. I think it would have would have well, been awesome. Maybe. Speaking of Lindsay Lohan, uh, funny thing, her her career started. She actually started in two major Disney reboots and remakes: The Parent Trap and Freaky Friday. That's true. Both yeah. original Disney films. Oh, I would definitely you know, qualify you know those as remakes versus okay. re- reboots. Good yeah. point. What about a different take? What about Joan Rivers as Cruella Deville? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, oh, I haven't seen this many spots since I took Quaaludes with Andy Warhol. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That'd be funny. Okay, well, let me kind of run down the list of Disney reboots and remakes coming up. And see There's what the you one guys... about Jafar from Aladdin and his his young soccer career before <laughs> he became an evil villain. You got something. That's There's the one about Ursula, Ursula when she was an overweight <laughs> stripper in Shut Austin, up. Texas, before she was cursed and became an underwater octopus person. <laughs> um, we, we also got to talk about uh, Captain Hook, right? Okay. He yeah. was, you know, all he really wanted to be was a lawyer. Was a lawyer. Here. He was and a lawyer. The, and he was educated at Eaton University. <laughs> and then, really, just, you know, he just fell, he met some sailors in London one night and, like, got way too drunk and then woke up on a pirate ship. And it just all kind of went downhill from there. Right? According to Den of De- DenofGeek.com, not only is Maleficent coming out, but The Jungle Book is being remade in right. live action, directed by John Favreau and featuring Idris Elba voicing the uh, Sheer Khan. That's nice. Now, and I trust John Favreau. He's a good writer mm. and good director. Mm. So yeah, he is. And uh, you also said, though, that Cinderella is being done with Cinderella Kenneth Cinderella is being done with Kenneth Branagh, and it's featuring Lily James of Downton Abbey and Richard Madden of Game of Thrones. Interesting. Wow. I know. Right? And then so there's that other Prince one. Philip. There's uh, Cruella coming out. Um, no, the other one. Which one? It's the one about Stromboli from Pinocchio being an MMA fighter and then being driven <laughs> to have to work at that. <laughs> Such an asshole. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. These are all ones Chuck I would Liddell love to see. Is no, no, no. Stromboli. But here's, here's one that you guys are alluding to, though. It's called um, Descendants, and it's right. going to be a Disney Channel original movie about the son of Belle and the Beast taking the throne and ruling all of the offspring of specific villains, including Cruella de Vil, Maleficent, mm-hmm. the Evil Queen, and Jafar who are all apparently imprisoned on this hidden island somewhere, but their kids are allowed to come back to the mainland and attend prep school under the rule of the son of Belle and the Beast. And here the dilemma being, could should they allow their par- get their help their parents to regain power or embrace their inner goodness and save the kingdom? And apparently it's going to be on Disney Channel. It's not going to be amazing. That sounds sure. extremely convoluted. I know, Yeah, right? it does. And it does sound like... Very Disney Channel because it seems like yeah. Disney has got two approaches they're going with now. They've got emo as fuck, <laughs> which is what they're doing with with Maleficent and all the the more contemporary stuff. But then right. they've also got well, we're we're a family company, mm-hmm. so they're going to push all their their programming yeah. through that. And there's a whole show on Disney Channel now with it's Captain Hook and the pirates. Really, and it's and they're the protagonists of the of the of the show. And we're like, so you're teaching kids that piracy is cool. <laughs> Because they think, but they grew up thinking piracy is, you know, oh, it's swords and yeah. and old ships and treasure chests. I mean, they're just speaking to the fantasy of it. Right. You know? Yeah. And, like, they also have this program called House of Mouse where they have all the characters, both right. good and evil, like, combined together. And they do, like, little mini episodes with all of them involved. Yeah, it's, it's like a variety show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. House of Mouse is actually pretty funny. Not bad. It's got yeah. pretty good So it's like quality. Kingdom Hearts, the show, yeah. without all the anime? 
<laughs> but I will say there was one really great bit from that. I remember there was one point where Mickey, because Mickey, of course, is the host of, mm-hmm. of the House of Mouse show. <laughs> um, he was getting really stressed out. And he said, oh, I think I need a drink of water. And he walks up to this giant, like, what you would see in a mouse cage yeah. for water and starts sipping out of this little, this little straw instead of him, like, he's anthropomorphized. So you could just pour a glass of, of water. <laughs> but instead, he walks up to this giant, like, like water feeder. and just, For, like, a hamster cage? Exactly. And just starts drinking out of it. And it's like, that... Because he's a mouse! <laughs> exactly. Like, you... That was so clever because they've now admitted, okay, so yes, they are not living in just this world where... They no. everyone acts like humans. Like yes, they do have They're animal self-aware. behavior. Exactly. I love it. I love That's it. That's not as clever as having an animated version of Walt Disney shoving Mickey Mouse in his ass like he was a gerbil. And I don't know off what kind it. of Disney movies you watch, Sean, but that is not I'm on my list. I'm just saying there's plenty of. I'm just saying <laughs> that there's one's a lot from of the different vault. paths <laughs> Disney could take, oh, and God. this is just my suggestion. Oh goodness gracious! All right, well <laughs> let me let me speak on a little bit more and see what you guys think. Um, apparently, Beating the Beast was already uh, there was a version done this year in 2014, and it was a French and German production starring Vincent Castle as the Beast and Leah Seydoux as Beauty. Yeah, and it actually followed the original animated feature from 1991 pretty closely. Interesting. Yeah, but it was all hmm. live action. Um, yeah, it was screened at the Berlin Film Festival. I don't know if it won any awards, but that was done. The, yeah. not associated with Disney. But there, there was another one that was done a couple of years ago uh, called Beastly, mm. and that was the one with Alex Pettifer and uh, Vanessa Hudgens. That's that was the. Right. It was a uh, very modernist approach, but yes, I he is cursed, but he's just he's ugly. He instead of him being right. the beastliness was more of a metaphor for his his personality, his narcissistic and yeah. chauvinistic personality. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting though that they made it a French production with French actors because the original story La Belle et la Bête is, of course, you know, yeah. that's yeah. what it's based off. It's the French. Uh, fairy tale. Right, yeah, yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Um, but I think, you know, of all the Disney films that are getting rebooted and redone, mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast needs to have a really solid one because, I mean, it was the first animated film from Disney to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. It's true, yep. yeah. So and... it's got a really solid structure to it, even more solid than, say, like The Lion King or any sure. other nominated films. Uh, and I think it needs to be given more credit and given a, a more solid film production. You know? It was more important in a couple ways, too, yeah, because that was when Disney was going back to what they knew made them great. Yeah. Because Disney had a rough time making money off of their animated films in the 70s and 80s. Then we had the Disney renaissance in the 90s. Right, exactly. Starting with Little Mermaid. With Little Mermaid, exactly. And that's yeah. when you start seeing, and one little subtlety you can notice between those films mm-hmm. is in the 70s and 80s, they were trying to make their budgets for their animated films more economical, mm. so they would, they cut out the multiplane camera they were using. So you're telling me that the Aristocats didn't do like 200 million that weekend? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you guys remember I Pete's Dragon? Do you guys remember Pete's Dragon? I do remember. Actually, oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember ever watching it, but I do yeah. remember it, yes. Apparently, they're remaking it re- soon. Isn't so. it, Wasn't it Brad Bird doing that, I, I think? I think. I don't know. Either way, yeah. that's coming out. Oh, and Sean, you're going to like this one. Uh, Flight of the Navigator is being remade. Yeah. <laughs> With your I'm excited boy. about that one. I'm just curious who they're going to get to Only be the if, voice of the no, ship. No, Paul Rubens has got to be the ship. <laughs> Oh my God! What was the whole no, drama? Rick, of... Ricky Gervais. Wait, as no, the ship, Dane, Dane the ship. Cook Dane as Cook the ship. <laughs> He's busy making movies about planes. Um, either way, <laughs> who who is the kid? Who is the kid actor who was in that one? That's a great question. Just James, Joey. Joey uh, Kramer. Joey Kramer. 
Isn't he under, like, a lot of, like, legal problems? Like, he's, like... Yeah, somebody had sent us something when we were talking about child actors, and we mm-hmm. said, hey, where's the That's dude feedback, from Flight yeah. of the Navigator? Yeah. He sent us in, uh, a message on Facebook, didn't he? Okay, we'll get to that in feedback later then. But, we yeah, will. I just wanted to bring that up. But that's so crazy how that happened. Yeah, it is Joey Kramer, yeah. You guys, apparently they're making a Chip and Dale live-action with CGI film. Oh, the, oh the Rescue please Rangers. tell me it's Patrick mm-hmm. Swayze and Chris Farley being brought back from the dead doing a digitally animated movie about <laughs> Chip and Dale's auditions. You betcha. No, we're talking about the Rescue Rangers, the Chipmunks. Oh, the Chipmunks. that one. Chip you, know, you know Monterey Jack. The, I uh, know Monterey Jack. <laughs> I eat a lot of that shit. <laughs> Gadget and and uh, was, uh, there's one more, wasn't there? I don't know. Um, what do you guys think of The Sorcerer's Apprentice? Was that a reboot or an homage to Fantasia? Uh, I think it was... I think it was a cinematic disaster. <laughs> <laughs> How do we categorize it, though? Because I like want to talk about it, but I don't know. Like, it's One a very, day it'll very be tough a one. cult classic, but that cult will be stupid. <laughs> I would say Jane that... Baruchel and Nicolas Cage at their I, finest. <laughs> I would say that it falls into both the category sure. of uh well, i mean it's definitely a reimagining because the sorcerer's apprentice was a completely invented story yeah. for fantasia no um, actually it was based off of a, a guta poem oh thank you that's right mm-hmm. my apologies um Yensid, the character though was the name was basically disney backwards oh, okay. so it was so. disneyfied yes it was <laughs> disneyfied for sure and so casting nicholas cage as Yensid, uh i mean nicholas cage was just hurting for money so he would have right. done anything at that point no, he, he came up with the idea apparently he went to the studios and was like you guys i want to make a movie <laughs> <laughs> there's only I one i can't even that... imagine myself as that cage the... just going to the studio that that movie <laughs> makes sense for the one scene there's there's the one scene yeah. where the kid tries to bring back be- no bring to life the brooms right. and everything just goes nuts but that's it. Like that's uh-huh. that is the Sorcerer's Apprentice storyline, and oh, like man. they went and they made it into this whole way bigger situation. I don't know. Seriously. It was it was definitely pretty, but it wasn't. I didn't think it was anything to write mm. home about. Okay, it wasn't well, anything to text someone about. To text someone about. Yeah, yeah not just write metaphor. home. Do you know what it yeah. takes for someone to put pen to paper and put it in an envelope these days? I wouldn't even text somebody. I would. There was. I wouldn't even waste it a, an emoji. <laughs> on a review of this film. I got even someone asked me about it. on you. <laughs> Fair enough. Um what about uh Oh, you know what I saw today guys? I actually watched um The Lone Ranger. Boo. With Army Hammer and uh Mr. Oh my god. I know, right? I know. I and know. that movie was filmed all around Durango and in the Southwest. Really? In fact, Gore Verbinski and Jer- Jerry Bruckheimer came into my restaurant one night. And came up to the bar and ordered beers. And I was like, Jerry Bruckheimer looks like a a Lego person. He's not, like, tall enough to be an actual person. (laughs) Yeah, and then it was this huge deal around here. They were doing open casting calls for extras. And a buddy of mine that works with us was one of the railroad workers in one of the scenes. So it was all hyped up around us. And then I I saw it, and I was just like, wow. Johnny Depp's performance was just a terrible caricature of, like, a generic Native American person. And... Army mm-hmm. Hammer had all of the charisma of a desk lamp. A desk lamp? Oh. <laughs> a poorly designed desk lamp. I like his teeth. <laughs> He's got really nice teeth. I like it better that's when there's all. two of them and they're rowing, but that's it. What? <laughs> oh, because of the uh, social network. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. True uh, that. What did you think about the movie, Roxy? Okay, so I thought that the comedic 
timing was pretty funny. Like, it was a pretty funny movie in the sense that Johnny Depp was just being Johnny Depp. And it was just a Johnny Depp movie, you know? It's kind of like the same idea of, like, Seth Rogen is always Seth Rogen in movies. Johnny Depp these days is just Johnny Depp. He does the whole awkward thing really well. He does the whole, like, weird looks really well. And that's pretty much all he did for Tonto. There was no character depth at all. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's good at making these, each character different. But yeah, I agree, like, it's... You're right. It's there's now certain much maybe physically, but sure, like exactly. But he still always does this awkward side eye thing, and he always and the little twitch thing he does. Mm -hmm, Totally, mm -hmm. there are things that are now marketable. Yeah, about his personality. I know the action sequences were really good. I will give them that. Like they were fast paced and exciting. Like awesome, cool, good for you guys. And I actually have finally something to say about that is that um, apparently a water safety expert who was working on the film drowned in a water tank during the making of that film and died so yeah there was actual death on the people set people die on movie Alone sets Ranger. people forget this mm-hmm. it happens it's more than a tragedy, you think really this movie was really plagued with a lot of production issues though yeah and yeah. just a lot of bs they did kind of pay notice to the whole conflict of indians versus cowboys you know how that there's a lot of tension there, and especially how Native Americans are portrayed on screen. Um, I know we've talked about that in past episodes, how there's a lot of controversy to that. And I think they did a pretty good job of portraying Native Americans as, I mean, I don't really know. I, I, I guess I haven't seen that many films with Native Americans featured prominently in them, but they made sure to cast a lot of Native American actors. I know yeah. that for sure. From my understanding, they, they got... There was no inaccuracies as to how the tribe that Tonto came from right. was depicted in right. the film. That was actually accurate. Yeah. It just, yeah. Makeup and costumes was really were really well done, mm-hmm. beautifully done. Like everyone looked really really beautiful, um, and very very gritty and accurate in that sense because it's a western, you know. Right. I thought on a grand scale, yeah, it was a good action movie, good good fun family film, but specifically speaking. Yeah, there were a lot of flaws to it. Specifically, Army Hammer's performance was not strong enough by by any means. Not to be the um, title character. Not, yeah, but he's just not that big of an actor yet. He doesn't have the chops yet. So I think they kind of jumped the gun. They saw him in Social Network and were like, okay, cool. There's a huge, there's a fan base following developing here. Let's give him an opportunity to do that. I think, unfortunately, he fell flat. He mm. really. This was really Johnny Depp's movie, even though Johnny Depp was a secondary character. Hmm. Um, I did not like how... Tonto's character was featured as this old native in the modern time because basically the movie starts out as a little kid um, going into like a museum and meeting Tonto and seeing yeah, the, you know, well, the Tonto figure, the figure is a mannequin that comes to life. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> why? <laughs> See that part I didn't even know. I haven't seen no, the film yet. It was and just ugh. yeah. I didn't so like that at all. That's a definitely something you never see in the trailers, and maybe mm-hmm. if they had re- probably because they were worried that that would turn people know. off to it. I don't know. I don't. Know. So I'm, I'm a little bit mixed about it, but just, I don't know, it was just a Jerry Bruckheimer clusterfuck, really. <laughs> Bruckheimer's known for, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, obviously, so he definitely was, like, going off the laurels of Johnny Depp in that. It was the Western version of Pirates, really. Well, apparently this was the first time that uh, the Lone Ranger and, and Tonto had been on screen together in 32 years. So people were really excited to see this film, but it failed miserably in the box office. Yeah, I think it failed because... Yeah, if you're above the age of 50, <laughs> it's something that you can you can connect to and that sure. you'd be excited to see. It's but not for, topical anymore. But exactly. like That's not to say that Westerns have failed, because there were movies, Westerns, that have 
had success to it. But True same grit. thing. The same thing. Yeah. True Grit, exactly. Same things happen with Cowboy versus Cowboys versus Aliens. Like mm. trying to, to to sell westerns as these epic, yeah, action blockbusters. I'm not sure if they can do that. No, anymore. it's all about superhero movies now. Superhero yeah. movies are where it's at right now. It's what's relevant. Yeah. It's what's most exciting. It's where the movie industry is going yeah. right now and focused on. And that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to do a superhero movie in the Old West and it yeah. just was not... They, they, could, they could have done Zorro and Zorro would have <laughs> would have had a similar right. difficulty to it. Because Zorro is a Western. It's just a Western with the Spanish, Spanish flair, flair to mm-hmm. it. You know? I agree with that. What about you, Sean? I was not impressed by anything in, in The Lone Ranger. It looked like a cookie cutter Bruckheimer production, you know, where you just had the right amount of explosions. Yeah. It was very beautiful. I mean, his movies are always the production value with regards to cinematography is ridiculously good. I mean, it looked really pretty. I but agree. But Johnny that. Depp, he was trying too hard to make all the pieces work, so he did this just generic performance. And like I said, Army Hammer, desk lamp. The story didn't. Yeah. The story wasn't that great to me. The only part I liked is this when you get into Tonto's backstory and what had happened as a child and why you find out everything he's been telling the Lone Ranger is bullshit from the rest mm. of his tribe. That part was cool, but then before and after that, I was just like, oh, man, you could have done so much more. And it didn't have to be as tongue-in-cheek as it was. I mean, I know that uh, the Avengers and other films, superhero films, that they're trying to be like with how people talk to each other, but it just failed miserably. Well, when you're going to do a comic book-themed character, and I would certainly qualify the Lone Ranger as that, you you have to kind of balance the action and character development with a little bit of levity Mm. to it. You know, even the Dark Knight, has gags to it, right? Had, yeah. You know, so that's what that feels like, you know? It's that true, but it, bit. it doesn't need as much levity as, say, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies had. Sure. It's missed the mark, unfortunately. And I think that's kind of where a lot of these remakes, that's kind of the path that they're following. I think they're not really at the same level that the original films were at. And yeah. I think they're trying really hard. They're pulling out all the stops as much as they can, especially with the animation and the CGI and the special effect, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and the star power. I mean, Angelina Jolie is Maleficent. Like, okay then. Um, it doesn't pay credence to the original films as much right. as it could. Like Snow White and the Huntsman, for example. Charlize yeah. Theron as the evil queen. Perfect casting choice. Sure. Perfect. I mean, um, Chris Hemsworth as the Huntsman, like, yeah, uh, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> Unfortunately, that movie suffered an, an identity crisis. It didn't yeah. know what it wanted to be. No, I, I agree. Um, you know, even though that one was a universal film, uh, Universal Pictures, it definitely, it was still a reboot of the Snow White film. But Of course. Following a much darker path, like how we're Definitely. talking about with Maleficent. Absolutely, um, yeah. And in that sense, I really enjoyed Snow White and the Huntsman. I didn't enjoy Kristen Stewart because I'm convinced she's made out of cardboard. Um, in the sense that her and Army Hammer would make a nice desk desk set, you know. <laughs> they could, you know, be easily. That'll probably somewhere. be their yeah. jobs soon, though. Honestly. Hi, yeah, I'm Army right? Hammer. Well, I, mean, I will come they, sit on your desk and stare at you. And to be fair... I'm Kristen Stewart. You can use me to write your papers. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am a pencil. A fucking... I am a number two pencil. Snow White is just, um, <laughs> you know... Just bite my lip and... Uh, mm. Mm. Um, <laughs> what what I, I didn't like her. about the movie, aside from the, the identity crisis that it was going through, because it didn't know what story it wanted to tell. Was it her story? Was it the Huntsman's story? Was it the Prince's, the Duke's story? Yeah. Was it the Queen's story? Like, right? It, Too many. There was no... 
there was not enough focus on whose story we were watching. Yeah. And uh, and it just was kind of a mess. But um, for the record, I don't have any problem with people wanting to reimagine a fairy tale. Right. And to retell it from another perspective. That's creativity sure. at, at its finest. But when you do it, you have to make sure you do it in a way where you you add something to the original story yeah. in some oh, yeah. way. And I don't think these movies that we're talking about are doing any of that. They're no. not... Yeah they're, yeah, they're just there to make money, unfortunately. Yeah, they're I think focusing, everyone knows like, that. The, the theme that I see point. here is that, like you guys said, they're focusing too much on the CGI and all of this casting. They're putting a whole lot of effort into everywhere but the story and the continuity, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going mm-hmm. back to Disney for a moment, Disney was all about telling great stories mm-hmm. and that's how he built his empire yeah. if you deviate from storytelling and you focus more on all of the other elements that will also yes contribute to a, a successful film you're missing the point you're right? missing the point you're the whole point is we go to movies to watch and see stories mm-hmm. we don't yes of course we go because we like to see angelina jolie or we go because we like to see chris hensworth because let's face it the dude's fucking ripped but <laughs> um but amen <laughs> um and I don't blame you for wanting to rest your face on his pecs. Um, so, All day, every day. But um, I thought it was Captain America's bum. <laughs> that too. I yeah, can do both. She could do I'm, a I'm she talented. could do a Captain America Thor three way. So that would be like your dream <clears throat> bed is to have those two pillows. On the left is Chris Hemsworth's <laughs> chest, and on the right is Chris Evans' butt. Come to me, I want it. <laughs> My yeah. birthday's coming up, boys. <laughs> Get so, creative. Um, we should we we should tweet Chris Evans and uh, Chris Hemsworth and, be and like, Chris Hemsworth, yeah, just to see. We got a girl over here who needs your. Our nerd, yeah, are you guys our nerds, willing uh, to take a... clay molds of your pecs and butt to make a pillow set, a memory foam <laughs> pillow set for Roxy? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is my Make a Wish Foundation yeah. wish. I mean, go, going uh, back Roxy's to... dying, everyone. <laughs> Roxy's <laughs> dying, <laughs> and she needs. This is her last. This is my dying wish. Yeah. Um, Going back to the point, I think I was making was that you know you started this. This is no surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, What's no surprise, Brian? It's no surprise. I mean, this is Hollywood. You know, its focus is shifting. It's Mm -hmm. it's 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 an industry at this point. We know that it's always going to be looking to make money first, and it has has. Lots of business data that yeah. supports the right formula for making a blockbuster film. Um, we'll talk about blockbusters later on. There's a certain point where you have to ask yourself, do we want to hate on them and flame them and say, yes, you should do better? Mm. Or are we just going to look at it and accept and say, that's the way the cookie crumbles? Speaking of cookies, Brian. This ad is brought to you by Antoine's Cookie Shop. <laughs> Hey, folks, you know, uh, we all are nerdy. We like to, to snack every now and again, right? Sarah and I love cookies. Yeah. We still want our Well, you should try some of Antoine's cookies because these guys, I am, he I am has like 90% some cookies. fantastic. Yeah, oh, yeah. He makes the best chocolate chip cookie Ooh. I've ever had. Do tell more. And I'm, I'm not even kidding. And he also has one where he puts uh, peppermint patties inside of him, a chocolate chocolate peppermint patty cookie. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Yeah. He's got a, a dark chocolate, double chocolate cookie that he makes. Can I marry it? Um, I, you, it's not legal in California, but maybe in Candyland. Um, so, so. Oh my wow. God, nerds on film. Very first Candyland reference, everyone. More to come. <laughs> you go. You go. Auspicious day. But you know what? But you know what, nerds? You guys can take part of this amazing deliciousness as well, because Antoine, even though he's based out of the San Francisco Bay Area, he will ship to you. 
you can go to antoinescookieshop.com. That is A-N-T-O-I-N-E-S cookieshop.com and uh, order some of these cookies. And uh, if you use the coupon code NERD, you will get 10% off your order. Mm, is mm. that nerd in caps lock or lowercase nerd? Uh, it's caps lock, but I don't think it really matters. But Okay. Antoine, so, we'll, do guys, these ad- we'll do one more ad for free if you make me a giant chocolate chip cookie that has Andy's yeah. mints laced in it and send it yeah. to me. And can it be like, can it be the shape of Sean's head? Yeah. It's <laughs> uh, like the outline. That might be a tall order, but, um, <laughs> and of course, but, if um, you guys sh- like his product, stay tuned because he's also going to kickstart a project uh, coming too. So like I said, go to antoinescookieshop.com and put some cookies in your face. Do it! <laughs> I think I think that was a pretty good, pretty good ad. That was yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah cool. absolutely. Back to Disney remakes. <laughs> As we now return to your regularly scheduled programming. Yes, I want to propose this to you guys. I found this article on TotalFilm.com, and it's called Six Dark Remakes Starring Disney Princesses." Follow me on this. Follow me on this. This is gonna get good. So, apparently, there is this deviant artist named Jeffrey Thomas um, who's taken all of these Disney princesses and given them a unique new twist. And basically, they're these images. And they're really kind of creepy-looking artistic renderings of the original princesses. Basically, he did it for a couple of them. In particular, uh, the princess Belle. You have the idea of being the Beast where we have Belle who gets to spend her time in this horrendous castle and she doesn't like the Beast but she falls in love with him. Either way, the new twist, according to this artist, is called The Beast Within. Belle is a feral girl discovered in the woods living with her slavering monster of a lover. But who's the real beast here? The creature is seemingly keeping Belle prisoner. But when local townspeople try to separate them, Belle flies into a terrible rage, tearing the clockwork guts out of her butler and using it to strangle her f- the first villager to step through the gates... There's no chattery, cl- there's no chatty cutlery, but someone does get stabbed with a fork, which sings a song entitled "Be Our Victim." <laughs> um, or be there's Aurora from Sleeping Beauty. Be our victim. Be our victim. You guys are supposed to continue um, with the song. But in the Sleeping Beauty twist. So in the sleep in the Sleeping Beauty one, it's called the Sleeping Death. A much bleaker look at the story as the witch's curse turns Aurora into a life force style vampire who hunts at night for energy of the castle's residents. With her faithful demonic owl as her only companion, she faces a life of lonely lurching around a, in a human half state. A handsome prince turns up at one point, and he does get a kiss, but it's on the neck and not the lips, and it doesn't end well for him. <laughs> This is some fucked up shit, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, or maybe uh, one more. Snow White. It's called Black as Snow. The witch's apple is successful, but it doesn't kill its target. Instead, Snow White becomes an insane demon and changes her short arsed friends into murderous slaves. <laughs> oh! We follow her as she rampages around the forest, destroying everything in her path. She feasts on the blood of deer, bluebirds, and little squirrels. Sadly for her stepmother, the plan backfires on her when Snow launches an all-out attack on the castle and drives an apple through the witch's heart. See, that's just what an we example need. Example of a few of the. We need that I, shit. I don't understand. <laughs> we need I don't Quentin understand. Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez present Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> here's what I don't understand. What? Why go that far? If you're gonna go that far, just go back to the Grimm's version of that story. Exactly. Because the Grimm's is way more fucked up. Oh my god. The Grimm's, they, the the evil stepmother survives, the evil queen survives. Right. Snow White and the prince get married. 
They invite her to the wedding. Mm-hmm. And then they tie her down, put shoes made of hot coals oh hot, or hot irons on her feet and make wow. her dance until she dies. Apparently in Little Mermaid, Ariel dies and becomes sea foam. Correct. So, like, That's true. yeah, there's lots more fucked up shit in the Grim yeah. Tales. Well, well, fun little fact, Hans Christian Andersen liked little boys. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. You guys, I'm looking at these images. You need to check them out. They're ridiculous. Re- ridiculous it's on totalfilm.com again the article is called six six dark remakes starring disney princesses the artist jeffrey thomas you are one creepy individual sir but i respect your hustle <laughs> because it's very creative and I, I think that ties into our topic about remakes because like i said like there's this kind of turning toward the darker side to animated films that we're seeing a lot more recently the you know the dark backstories to villains things like that like that's becoming more popular these yeah days. more popular and depending on in the mainstream yeah, but i mean anime has been, has been doing this forever anime uh like japanese animation yeah well we're talking about you know, like animated films having dark backstories in in general well yeah, sure, but when you say anime, you really—that's the kind of the style of Japanese animation, and their their whole thing is like dark all around. But they don't really do much fairy tales, except for like Miyazaki. You know, Miyazaki's right. stories are always really well-rounded storylines. Yeah, Ponyo was actually a retelling of The Little Mermaid. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So. Cool. So I mean, he does—he definitely likes to keep things in the mystical house yeah. Moving Castle. Don right. Bluth did Thumbelina. Right. I mean, Anastasia even. I mean, that, that was a kind of lighter reimagining of the Romanov story. But still, you get right. a lot of animated remakes of a lot of famous stories and fairy tales. And depending on really kind of like the theme of the story, you can either go really dark or really light. And I'm interested to see how the future yeah. of these types of films, what, what direction they'll go into. Yeah. I feel like if they want to do the genre justice... Mm-hmm. No, I feel like fairy tales are at their heart, their morality tales, mm-hmm. right? And they use the devices of their time, or in this case, I guess, out of time, to to convey their their message. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it with Wizard of Oz, too. Like, that was a modern fairy tale. It was right. trying to use contemporary symbols to, to drive its, its message home. Yeah. So I feel like if it's going to go anywhere, that's where it needs to go back to. It's gonna, It needs to have, like, a, another renaissance where it goes back to what made these stories resonate to begin with. No, absolutely. I completely agree yeah. with you. Um, there was a fun little thing I did want to share, too. Uh, for those who are fans of Cracked.com, oh. there is a wonderful uh, short story written by Robert Brockway called How Hollywood Decided to Reboot Classic Children's Tales. And it's basically this whole thing of, of, of a pitch session between an agent and the studio head. <laughs> and it is so goddamn funny. Um, and they're pretty much pitching every single reboot we've been talking about, and plus more. Really? Uh, and as if like they'd never been done before. <laughs> so uh, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. So you guys should check that out and uh, have a good laugh at it. Okay. I think. Well, let me ask you guys. Let me present this to the group. Deviating somewhat from the animated films and talking a little bit more about how Disney has acquired a lot of these stories and wants to kind of continue on and become kind of the Everest of blockbusters. What do you think about Disney acquiring Star Wars and possibly Indiana Jones? I'm okay with it because I think Lucasfilm, very much like what they did with Pixar and what they've done with Marvel, Mm. is when they are acquiring other brands, they are letting that brand still be that brand. Okay. Yes, they're still under the Disney umbrella. Right. But, you know, look at what Pixar's done. Pixar still does what Pixar does great. Mm -hmm. And Disney doesn't really interfere with that. 
you know, well, until they do combo films like Brave and things right. like that. Yeah, yeah, Brave was the most Disney-ish of the Pixar films. Absolutely. And I don't really care for Cars or Planes for that matter. Me neither. Um, but keep in mind though, that was Cars was one hundred percent John Lasseter's baby. Mm-hmm. Like it had Disney, you know, of course, marketed the crap out of it because <laughs> it was it was easily sellable. But it was his idea, right? Yeah. Yeah, Brave, you know, Merida is very Dis- Disney princess-ish. And this is the first time they were trying to really, I think, push that princess trope yeah. in those films. God, I hate how they reimagined the images of the princesses. They did this whole thing of the marketing campaign for the princess line where they actually redid all the costumes for the princesses and they over-sexualized them. It was Ugh. horrible. Like, yeah. they gave them cleavage and curves and, and fucking glitter and you're just like what yeah and and those are properties that they've created and that's not necessarily right no it's a horrible image for girls correct it's horrible messages sean what do you think yeah i think that sends horrible messages too although i have seen those toys and they did make it move (laughs) oh stop it (laughs) sometimes i pass by the toy i'm like ariel's titties are popping (laughs) damn titties what did you think about the whole star wars and possible indiana jones Reboots. You know, I am extremely optimistic about what Disney's going to do with Star Wars and Indiana Jones because I know that they have done well with Marvel. They have done Marvel right. And yeah, if they man. can do with this property what they're doing with that property, there's no reason for us to be worried. With the Dis- with all the Disney mm-hmm. princess reboot stuff, like the Snow White and the Huntsman, not a fan. Um, I, I remain... Benevolent, or I, I'm sorry, I remain ambivalent about Maleficent. Benevolent. In fact, <laughs> in fact, that'll probably be the like a review title. Yeah. Ambivalence <laughs> equals Maleficent. Benevolent ambivalence. <laughs> Benevolent ambil- ambivalence Maleficent. Say that. There you go. Bam. Yeah. But we we do have to. There's always a possibility. That they're gonna make a mo- God. I'm trying to pull another fucking horrible Disney villain back. You know what? I'm gonna yeah. stop you there. <laughs> I'm gonna stop you there. Hold on. And we're gonna go into feedback. <laughs> God damn it! Wait, just one more. Sean, just four just, minutes, dude. Four minutes where we gotta wrap up. Just let it. All let right, it go, okay. Man. The candlestick and the go. clock go. from Beauty let and the Beast. Don't hold on anymore. Let it go. Okay. Let it go. You motherfucking asshole. I know. Okay, thank you. I will shut up because Adele Dazim told me to. I do what Adele does. Good. And <laughs> uh, um, let's get to feedback, shall we? Listener feedback. Yeah. We got two pieces of feedback from email, and I think we got a couple on social media. Yeah, we do. Um, first one to mention, we were talking about Flight of the Navigator, right, is coming up, is in development as a reboot. Uh, mm-hmm. um, we got an email from Clint, who says, that, uh, when we were talking about on the bridges of Madison County, on Hollywood County, I yeah. should say, we mentioned what happened to the kid from Flight of the Navigator. Well, apparently he's in a fair bit of trouble, and they gave us an article that look up. Poor Kramer. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Much appreciated. Uh-huh. Um... <laughs> I just saw on the Nerdonomy Facebook page the post about David's birthday. Um, our listener Athena put a, a picture um, of a cupcake with Nicholas Cage's head on it. Oh, that's right, a cupcake, right? Says, yeah, cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw that for the first time. It says, "Happy birthday, Dave!" Here's a cupcake, and it's just the most serious Nicholas Cage face. Yeah, it's on true. the cutest cupcake in outer space. Not the bees. Not the bees. I'm an empire. I'm an empire. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
We also got one from our friend Steven Rosenberg from the Motion Picture Meltdown mm. podcast. Subject, X-Men. Hey, nerds. The message is mainly for Brian. Well, wow. Hi. First time I've ever gotten one of these in a while. Firstly, I'd like to show appreciation as I kind of see you as the lead host of the group. Granted, you are all fantastic hosts, and I can relate to you the most, as we do the same in reeling the group back into getting on topic when things go awry. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you, sir. Thank you. So here's the point of my message. I listened to the X-Men episode, which was awesome, by the way. Talking about the movies, you seem to struggle looking past the inconsistencies within the movies. And I wanted you to know that I totally agree with you. Fucking thank you. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Uh, And he goes on to talk about how he also agreed... There's tons of inconsistencies, like why Emma Frost is a little girl in X-Men Origins, Wolverine, but yet she's an adult in the 60s in first class, uh, and it's aggravating. And he also is 100% with me, especially with the whole Alex Summers debacle with Havoc. So he was done when they killed Cyclops. But he admitted that the email was getting long, so I'm not going to read any more of it. But, Stephen, thank you. Can I add one from our Facebook page? Absolutely. This is from listener Nadia. And she says, hey, nerds, just wanted to say hi, especially to the NOF gang. So in your most recent episode, you guys were talking about the upcoming Giver movie. And this is in regards to our Meryl Streep episode. I had no idea that they were adding a love story. What the heck? I'm deeply saddened by this ruining one of my favorite books of my early teens. And she goes on to say something about NOH, but we'll keep that for that podcast. Um, And yeah, Nadia, I was the one that brought that up. And I totally agree with you, girl. It's a real disappointment that they're deciding to go with the more popularized version of this story which has a really unique quality about it which included the innocence of this you know main character right where he was much younger and didn't need a love interest to make his story interesting but like sarah said you know they're kind of trying to appeal to a younger crowd who are you know fans of the hunger games and twilight who need that love interest story arc especially like divergent folks too um who prefer that versus a story that could be such as like Ender's Game, where they didn't really focus on love, the love interest, but the box office receipts were much lower. You know, so right. they're going for profit, not story, and yeah. I think that's just really disappointing. But we'll see how the, the giver turns out. I have faith yeah. in Meryl. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Oh God! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. I, I, yeah, we'll we'll hopefully be optimistic, right? Yeah. It's yeah. that was a tough one. I was I was really when you guys were telling me that. As I, as I was listening mm-hmm. to your episode because I wasn't there, it made me kind of like, wow, really? Yeah, I know, like, right? It just doesn't such make a sense. Disappointment. They give yeah. her such a good, great, obviously classic literature. Piece. Totally. And for them to do that, it's just a, it's it's cheapening it. I think. Sean, final thoughts? I I think it's cheapening it too. I completely agree with you. But uh, I have one more piece of feedback from Thanks. Twitter. Okay, go for it. Tom, good old Tom. I feel like Tom's a part of our show now because he always <laughs> responds with such awesomeness. Tom is. He said, uh, He's our he said, Australian I, at Nerdonomy, I do love you guys and want you in my life. Donations sent. Can't wait for Shaft, Stroke, and Swallow in Colorado. <laughs> and that was directed at Big Sean Moe, hashtag Long Dong. Oh, God. You had to read that tweet of all Because well, yeah. I said if <laughs> people donated, uh, and- I would, you know, do that. And so now I got to suck Tom's oh. dick. Thank goodness he's in Australia. Yeah. Hey, you got to go 14 dude, hours to get dude, there, dude. He ain't. He ain't. <laughs> It's not cheap either. He, uh-uh. he sent us a hundred bucks, Mm-mm. so thank that you. That is a donation worthy of a dick. Whoa, Absolutely. Jesus so Christ! You... <laughs> I gotta pay attention to the balls and everything. <laughs> <laughs> not only that, they're Australian balls. Who what knows? What a way to end an episode on Disney films, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna stop saying this. Absolutely. There you go. All right, well, guys, um, I think that that really sums it up. So what I'm gonna say then is, as we're talking about nerdonomy. 
we're also talking about the idea that if it's in your hearts and in your wallets, please do donate to us, as our lovely friend Tom has so generously done. We appreciate your any donations. No, no donation is too small or too large. Anything you can do, we would appreciate it because we love giving you guys content and we appreciate your feedback. So you can tweet us on our social media. I'm at Roxy Noberry. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at Big Sean Mo. And Sarah is at Sarah Ash Sixteen. And um, I think yeah, you can reach us on our Facebook or. Our our website either way you know hit us up let us know what you think exactly yeah. and uh, of course until next time stay nerdy and tune into us next week same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com peace See ya. and roll credits And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. I don't even know. Where do we go with this? What was the... Shit. What was the shit? Sure. I mean, if you want to do that, yeah. Ninja Turtles used Whistle to be the while shit. you work. Coolio used to be the shit. Fucking gecko pants used to be the shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>